0: You know, I was thinking about this this week. There are not enough Sundays in the year uh, for me. There's just not enough Sundays in the year. I only get 52 times for us to get up here and teach and talk and preach about something. And today's one of those times where I have three sermons that I need to, d- to give. And I'm just going to squeeze them in there because I, I, I want to talk about forgiveness. I talked about it last week and it just really was enough to get me started And I've got three more messages on it I'm gonna squeeze in today because next week we're gonna start talking about marriage. And relationships and family. And if you're a single person, if you're a teenager or you're a young person in your 20s, we're going to hit that subject for you as well. It's a series called In the Ring and it starts next Sunday. I don't want you to miss that. So there's just so many good things at the movies is coming up soon. And it is a great way for your lost friends to come to Jesus. It's just so many good things we have on the horizon that I just can't spread uh, all these messages out. So uh, I'm going to talk today uh, on three areas of Forgiveness. All right. If if you're up for it, say I'm ready. I'm I'm going to try to cover how to forgive your family, how to forgive yourself, and how to forgive God. I know that sounds kind of weird. I want to start right there, and I'll be honest with you: the idea of forgiving God sounds like heresy. All right. Like, what are you talking about? Why would God need forgiveness? And see, that really exposes the fallacy of our understanding of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not about what someone else needs. Forgiveness is always about what, say it, church, I need. It's always about what I need. I forgive the other person, not because I want to bless them or help them out or because they deserved it or earned it. I forgive the other person because I need all the stuff that comes with forgiveness, the cleansing, the healing, the freedom that comes with forgiveness. And and sometimes we do need to forgive even God. Because if you think about it, we put some pretty high expectations on God, don't we? (laughs) Heal everything, you know, take care of everyone, protect everyone, can do anything. And so we expect so much out of God. But what about when God doesn't come through for you? He could heal someone, but he didn't. He could have protected someone, but he didn't. He could have done this thing but he didn't, or, or it's right here in the Bible. I've prayed about it. I, I, it makes sense. It should have happened and it just didn't happen. What do you do with that? Well, I want to, I want to talk about a story in Luke chapter seven. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go there. It's about John the Baptist, Luke chapter seven. And this is a, this is a story that I've read and knew for many, many times taught on it and preached on it until one day I heard pastor Kip talk about it. And he really opened my eyes to something I'd never seen in it. Bible is so amazing. You can read it your whole life and keep uh, learning new things. You can go to church your whole life and keep learning new things. And, 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 uh, when he talked about this, he, he really talked about the idea of being disappointed with Jesus. I never thought about that, that Jesus could disappoint. But in this story, John the Baptist is disappointed with Jesus. Now, John the Baptist, uh, was the earthly cousin of Jesus. And he met Jesus when he was in the womb. In Elizabeth, his mother's womb, and Jesus was in Mary's womb, his mother. And the Bible says that John the Baptist leapt inside of his mother's womb. It was a supernatural. Now, when I read about that, I've got cousins, and it was not supernatural with my upbringing. Okay, you got to put that out of your mind. This is a supernatural family, and 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 both of these babies were born. And only people in Scripture that it says this about born full of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I am born with some stuff, but not the Holy Spirit. I'll be honest with you. They were full of the Holy Spirit. John went about preaching the coming Messiah. That was his mission in life. He didn't care who he offended, and he offended a lot of people. <laughs> and he just preached that Jesus is coming. You are Not Jesus, because the Bible doesn't tell us his name it would be Jesus. It tells us the Messiah is coming. He kept preaching the Messiah is coming. You better straighten your pads. You better get ready for him. He's going to change everything. And so he preached it and preached it until one day God revealed to him that the Messiah is Jesus? That's the day he uh, he baptized Jesus. John saw the Holy Spirit descend on him, and John said, "Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Whose shoes I'm not worthy to buckle." Okay, John knew that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus, on the other hand, would one day say, "John's the greatest man ever born of a woman." So John one day is in prison because he's preaching the truth, no matter who hears him even to authority like Herod Antipas. And Herod had John imprisoned, would later have John beheaded. John's in prison and he knows everything Jesus is going to do because he's been preaching from Isaiah, the prophet, prophesying the coming of Jesus. And for centuries, it has said things like the lame will walk and the, the, the dumb will talk and the, the dead will rise and, and and the poor will be loved on and embraced and the gospel of, of, of peace will be preached to the poor. And... The prisoners will be set free. Well, John, this comes alive to him now like never before because John's a prisoner. He's in prison. And he's not he's not sweating the issue because he knows Jesus is the Messiah and he sets prisoners free. But then Jesus didn't set him free. And he didn't set him free and he waited and he waited. And finally, John sent his own followers, his disciples, to go ask Jesus, what's up? You know, Why haven't you set me free? And in Luke 7 and 20, we get the story... When the men, these disciples of John, came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? Stop right there just for a minute. They know he's the one who is to come. John knows he's the one who is to come. This is a rhetorical question. It's like, Jesus, what's up? Like, what, What's going on? I'm in prison. Aren't you the one? Am I supposed to look for somebody? I mean, I know you. He saw the heavens open over Jesus. John saw a dove descend. The Holy Spirit spoke God's booming voice. This is my son. We know that Jesus is the one. And John is like, are you really the one? Because the one is supposed to do something different than what you've been doing. You're supposed to set prisoners free. And listen to Jesus' response. Listen to the whole thing that's going on. At that very time, verse 21, Jesus cured many who had diseases. Yeah, check mark. I know because that's what I've been preaching my whole life. He's going to cure diseases and sickness and evil spirits. Yeah, he gave sight to those who were blind. Yeah, I knew that. And so he replied to those messengers, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind received their sight. Yeah, Isaiah said that was going to happen. The lame walked. John's like, yeah, I know. Isaiah said it was going to happen. Uh, those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf can hear. The dead are raised. The good news is preached to the poor. And, And John has got to be thinking to himself, I know all this stuff about you. But Jesus left out one thing that Isaiah said was going to happen. The prisoners are going to go free. Go back and read Isaiah's prophecy. The prisoners are going to go free. I've got a prisoner asking me to set him free and he leaves that out. And here's what Jesus adds in verse 23. Blessed is the man who does not fall away because of me on account of me fall who does not grow bitter and angry because of me blessed is the person who does not fall into unforgiveness we might even say because of me John is left going wait a minute you do everything I said you're going to do except you do this one thing that I need, you overlook it. And, and maybe some of you are like that right now. You're like, man, I've heard about it. this person that got healed. I heard about it. this person who got a financial breakthrough. This person whose marriage was restored. What about me? I need somebody to say amen. Because I'm not the only person who's ever been disappointed, right? So what do I need to do when I'm disappointed with God? I'm going to tell you three things real fast, and, and then we're going to move on. Number one, you got to start here. Be honest with yourself. Start right there. Don't give me... I was expecting this, you know, Presbyterian, frozen, chosen, holy... Oh, I've never been disappointed with Jesus. Me and Jesus are BFFs. Put all that stuff aside and be honest. If you're disappointed, if you're bitter, if you're losing faith, if you have doubts, if you're frustrating and you're struggling, don't try to be superhuman. Start with honesty right there. The greatest believers, a lot of them, had doubts. Read your Bible. You'll see a lot of them. Mother Teresa, one of the greatest followers of Jesus in modern times, she literally lived the gospel and preached the gospel her whole life, gave her life in the slums of Calcutta, India, to the poor and the indigent. She was the living embodiment of loving people. And yet after she died, they found some letters that she had written that she never sent, some of her own writing for her own self, and it revealed a lot of deep doubts she had about her faith. A lot of people, it was big in the New York Times and everywhere, a lot of people said, well, that just proves faith isn't real and proves that what she believed in was useless and, and that she didn't really have faith. I don't think it discounted her faith at all because I think that, in, in, that, that doubt is just a part of life. It's a part of our journey. I might even say that doubt is a part of faith because your faith is what helps you fight your way through doubt. So you have to be honest with yourself about your doubts and you need to be okay with yourself, okay? You need to accept, I'm not going to always be on top of the world. Be honest with yourself and then immediately be honest with God. I don't think you can do it out of order. I think you have to start with being honest with yourself and then be honest with God. When you talk to God, when you come to God, when you come to worship, don't put on some religious show because God already knows how you feel. And when you complain to God, you are in good company with people like Job, Great man, righteous according to God, and yet he complained mightily to God. Jeremiah, David, many other people in the Bible, you're not going to be the first person to complain to God. You're not going to be the first person to actually question God. Moses asked God, why have you brought all this trouble on us? That's a pretty big deal because Moses was there that day. God opened up the earth and swallowed up some people. Don't think I'd be smack-talking God if I'm Moses, I'll be honest with you. But he'd had it. He's frustrated and he asked God, what's up, God? Gideon said, why did you let this happen to us? We're your people. Why did you let this happen? David said, God, why are you hiding your face from me? Boy, I felt that way before I'm praying. My prayers are bouncing off the roof. David just let it out there. Why, God? Jeremiah said, God, why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable? And you might look at those guys and go, okay, those are men that were sinning that day. You're not supposed to question God. I've heard that a hundred times. You're not supposed to say that kind of stuff. They were just in sin and God was living in grace. What about the one person who never sinned? Jesus Christ. Don't you remember him looking up to the father one day and saying, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm, I'm telling you. This idea of, 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 of having faith that is is ca- challenged and, and questioned, that, that's okay with God. God's not going to freak out. You're not the first person who's asked God that. You know, I remember almost a decade ago, I went through one of the darkest times of my life. Uh, um, nothing, one big thing happened. A lot of things happened. And and I was just struggling with my ministry. I was the pastor here, and I can tell you now because I'm all healed and over it, and you can stay at Daystar. I wasn't healed up then about eight years ago. I was struggling with it and I was feeling a lot of stuff and I needed to say it, you know, I needed to get it out of me. I think that bitterness and pain and doubt and and that kind of stuff is like a, uh, it's like an infection inside of you. And if you hold it in, it just grows and it gets worse. And so I just needed to get it out. So that was before uh, iPhones had digital voice app on it. And, And so I had a little, I had a little digital voice recorder battery operated thing. And it was in, in my truck. And I would pick that thing up when I'd been disappointed and things weren't going well, I would pick that thing up and I would say the most vile stuff into that thing. I mean, just like, I don't have faith in God. God's not showing up for me. I, I I'm so disappointed in myself. God, I'm disappointed in me and you. And I just, just stuff like that. You would never think a preacher would say, I just needed to get it out of me. And I would just say it and put it down. And I never press play, never, ever press play. In fact, later I donated it to our thrift store. We had a thrift store back then, and I forgot to delete it. <laughs> I mean, it had all kind of just, I mean, nothing, nothing like terrible, just awful rantings that I was thinking in my head was on this thing. And I remember sitting at home thinking about all the stuff I had donated, sitting in my recliner, and I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> I threw that recliner down, jumped in my truck, drove back up there and grabbed that thing. Thankfully, nobody had bought it. I deleted it in Jesus' name. Do <laughs> you know, you might need an exercise where you just let the junk out, you know? And talk to God about it. Maybe you'd be hearing, maybe some other preachers going, don't ever do that. That's wrong. It's disrespectful. It's, it's terrible. It's heresy. Maybe another preacher would say that, but he would be wrong. I'm sorry, he just is. Because the Bible is full of godly people who went through a struggle and they didn't know what to do next and they were just honest with God. So you start by being honest with where you are and be okay with yourself. Be honest with God. And then the next thing is the hardest of them all. Wait on the Lord. I don't like to wait. I don't like to wait on anything. I don't like to wait on the number three combo at Chick-fil-A, and they're fast. I, I don't like to wait on nothing. And I certainly, I don't need a number three combo, okay? And I don't like to wait on that. When I'm asking God for something, I need it. So I certainly don't like to wait on that. But that's the way God does what he does. He just doesn't change. See, we've all gone to microwaves and quick things. I was watching a ball game with my son yesterday. And I always record the games and stay about an hour behind because I don't like to wait on the commercials or free throws. So I fast forward through free throws and commercials. And and we're sitting there watching the game and I hit fast forward and Brian is going, Oh my gosh, these commercials are taking so long. They're in fast forward mode. <laughs> I'm creating a monster over here. See, God hasn't got direct TV or microwave. He hasn't become modern he stays the same. He's endless and timeless. He has no timetable. He is not in a hurry. And so the way, the language of God, the motion of God, the rhythm of God will never change. We're it's becoming harder and harder and harder. I believe it's harder for me to wait on God than it was centuries ago for people because our pace is different. And so you just have to wait on God. But there's a deep, awesome promise when you do. Isaiah 40 and 31 says, those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Everybody say renew. renew. Now say it like this, like it really means say renew. renew. You, you, didn't, you didn't wait long enough between them. Say renew. <laughs> you get that? Like your faith in God was new one time. Do you remember that? Like when you just finally found out he loves you. You finally found out you were accepted. You prayed the sinner's prayer. You, you, you started sharing. I mean, it's just brand new. It's exciting and wonderful. And life happened. Stuff happened. Uh, challenges happened. Mountains happened in your life. Sin happened. Disappointment happened. And your faith was not new anymore. But the Bible says God can make it renew again. And the only way for that to happen is to wait on the Lord. And then when you do, look at this. They'll mount up on wings like eagles and run and not be weary, walk and not faint. But you're going to have to wait. One of my closest friends, Gary West, lost his son and son-in-law on the same day. You've heard me talk about it before. His son was in college and his daughter was in college. His son graduated, got married. I did the wedding. Went to work for his dad in his business his daughter got married also. She and her husband graduated and her husband went to work with her dad and they had just started work with they just started working with his son and son-in-law and they're coming home from a 12-hour shift and their car goes off the road and both the boys are taken instantly. To say that Gary was disappointed with Jesus would be an understatement. He was angry with Jesus. He was frustrated. Jesus says all this stuff about healing and protection and blessing and Psalm ninety-one. And why doesn't it happen in my life? Gary was a good man. Is a good man, generous and and faithful and and loved his family and all the things that you think brings protection and provision over you. And he had a deep bout with 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 depression and 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 doubt. And and I walked him through that. That's really what. Really knit us together was that season of his life. He told me one time of a Sunday morning, early, early, he got up at daybreak and was just walking around in his yard fussing with God. If you've never done it, I would encourage it. It'll help you out. God doesn't need any help, but it'll help you out. Just to tell him what's in your heart. He's walking around, telling God how good Gary had been to God. You know, God, I've been faithful all these years. I've been faithful to one woman my whole adult life. You know, and, 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 and it didn't seem to matter to you. I, I, I worked this business. I was a, a, a Christian businessman. And I, you know, I, I led people to Christ. I always pointed people to Jesus. I was a father to fatherless people through all these years. I, I was a good example to my children. You know, I, I made all this money and I didn't spend it recklessly on me. I gave it to your church and your kingdom and I invested in other people. And then he said, God, I just can't impress you. Can't make you happy with me. I can't do anything that would make you want to bless me and help me in this time. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do a 180 on everything I've done. I'm going to stop being faithful to my wife. I'm going to stop using that money as I should. I'm going to take that money. I'm going to do what I want to do with it. I'm going to go where I want to go. I'm going to do everything because everything I did for you apparently has amounted to nothing in my life. So I'm going to go in the other direction and do everything I want to do. And you might be thinking to yourself, God would strike you with lightning if you say that. Let me tell you, God already knows if it's in your heart, you might as well let it out of your heart. You might as well say it. And I don't know how long he walked around. He had tears running down his face as he, wetting his shirt collar as he walked around angry with God. But he told me that eventually he heard the voice of God in his heart say, Gary, my son, that's fine. You can go where you want to go. You can do all that stuff you've said you're going to do. But when it's over, you will have been a fool and I will still be God. And you'll come back to me because you're going to need me. And that was a painful and powerful moment that turned Gary's whole life. He knew God spoke to him. And it's not one of those moments where you go, I went to church today and God spoke to me. Yay! God told me I'm a fool. It's a good day, you know. But it was a moment where you realize God's not going to stop being God. I don't understand God. I'm disappointed with God, but he's still going to be God. And he's still going to talk to me. He's still gonna love me through this. He may not give me what I want, but He's gonna be what I need in that moment. Sometimes you have to forgive God. Are you with me, church? You have to release that anger and that frustration and that bitterness and forgive God. Now, what'll build up bitterness faster than anything else is your family. Let's let's talk about your family for a minute. Let's talk about forgiving someone in your family. And you know, this is why I said I needed to take two or three weeks on this because I started looking in the Bible and there's so many examples of family strife. (laughs) I mean, I don't know why people think that to go to church, you got to have your life all together when everybody God writes about is so jacked up. But you have people like David who was probably an illegitimate son of his father, Jesse, and he was overlooked when God had a big plan for him. And somehow David forgave that and moved into his destiny. And then David failed, and, and he had a son, Absalom, who couldn't forgive him, and it cost Absalom his life because unforgiveness and bitterness is straight from hell. And, and then you have the story of Jacob and Esau. Remember that? Two brothers who literally started struggling with each other in the womb, right? Right? One stole from the other, and you have this glorious story of forgiveness where they come back together and healing happens. And and it's beautiful. And I think about Paul, the apostle. who, When he came to faith in Jesus, his wife, we believe historically, he had a wife and children. They all left him. And he had to finish and do ministry by himself. And, and, And Paul, when he writes things, we don't know exactly what he was talking about in his personal life, but he says things like, forgetting what is behind I strain forward to what is ahead. He's telling us how to get through family strife. Amen? Can I hear that? I mean, there's stuff like that that's going on. But probably the best example of forgiveness in family has got to be Joseph, the dreamer. Remember, Joseph had this great dream. God's going to use me. Great things are going to happen in my life. And he told everybody his dream, but his brothers, he was the 11th out of 12, sort of the runt of the litter. He had a special grace on his life, and they hated him for it. So they beat him up. Ripped his clothes off, threw him into a pit, sold him as a slave. He goes from a slave to prison. He goes from prison, remarkably, he is plucked out of the prison by the, the, the essentially the king, the Pharaoh, of the most powerful nation on earth, Egypt. I mean, it's an amazing story. And you have to, you should read it for yourself. Genesis 37 through 50, read it. But you have to ask yourself. Where does that come from? Where does the strength come from a man who has been wronged? I would grant you more than anybody hearing my voice right now. Where does the strength come from to overcome all that pain and all that wrong? Let me walk you through it. He didn't harbor bitterness. He didn't harbor unforgiveness. And maybe you've been to that same place where your, your family's wronged you or someone in your family. Maybe you did the wrong and they won't get over it. And, and it feels like They're wronging you back and you've got bitterness. Let me show you what what Joseph did. Two things. Number one, you refuse to lower your standards. Joseph was sold into slavery. He becomes the number one slave. The master of the house puts him in charge of everything and there in that house comes Joseph's opportunity to pay the master back. Now you make me a slave dude, if I get a chance, don't turn your back on me because I'm getting you for that. That's wrong. He has the best opportunity. He's the master of the house. He's living in the house. He's in charge of everything. And the master's, the owner's wife takes a liking to Joseph. <laughs> this is his chance, man. She tries to put the moves on Joseph. Joseph's got no wife. He's got no family. I got nothing, man. What have I got to lose? You talk about getting a man back. This is his opportunity. And Joseph says, no, I'm going to be who God's called me to be. I've got a dream to become more. I'm supposed to be something special in this world, and God has spoken to me, and I'm not going to let that happen. You know, when you've been hurt by somebody else, you want to get them back. You want to turn that back to them, but there's something you've got to remember. Listen to this. You've got to remember who you are, but you got to remember whose you are. You, you, you are not defined by this junk you're living in. This is not who you are. You're more than that. And you belong to God. And, and here's what Joseph realized. This woman thinks I'm the man of her dreams, but what I know is I'm the man of my own dreams. God gave me a dream. God has put something in front of me, and I'm not going to let this thing hold me back. See, you, you might not be where you want to be right now, but here's what you do have. You have the power to make choices about your life. You have the power and the opportunity to make decisions. So decide to live up to standards of righteousness and ethics and doing the things that would please God because God's not finished with you yet. Come on, somebody ought to clap your hands and praise him. If you know it, he's not finished. So that's the first thing he did. He said, you know what? I'm going to be who I'm supposed to be. Nobody else is being who they're supposed to be, but I'm going to be who I'm supposed to be. Maybe that's what it looks like where you're at right now everybody's lost their mind. Does anybody feel that way like the whole world? But I'm going to be who I'm supposed to be. You know, you need to, sometimes you can get bitter to the whole world, society, culture, a nation. What you've got to decide is, I'm going to be who I'm supposed to be. That's a whole nother sermon. Dog it, I need four weeks. Here's the second thing. You want to get past family pain? Press through the pain into the purpose. Remember, this is not your destiny. This mess you're living in, this chaos that somebody has put on you and put on your family, that's not your destiny. That problem is not who you are. And see, God knew this was coming and he has a plan for you on the other side. Everybody say other side. you know there's another side to the mess you're dealing with? There's another side. The 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 hurt and the pain and the shock and the I can't believe it and the disappointment that's one side of the coin. There's a whole other side of the coin. You need to believe right now that first of all you're going to get to the other side. Say I'm getting there. You're going to get to the other side and believe that when you get there, guess who's going to be there? God's going to be there. The plan of God's going to be there. The destiny God has for your life is going to be there. You're not living in the forever. You're in the temporary. And so Joseph, man, somehow he got that, man. He just kept his head down. He stayed focused on the dream that he had, and he just ran for that dream. And Joseph told his dream actually to a lot of people. That's what got him into trouble, really. But the person he told his dream to the most was himself. So you got to remind yourself of the dream. The vision God has for you. When you've prayed, when when you've heard from God, this is where you're going to go. This is what you're going to be. This is what your family's going to be like. This is what your destiny's going to be like. And you're looking at something that looks nothing like your dream. You need to re-preach your dream to yourself. Joseph doubtlessly kept on focusing on that dream. Let me tell you this. You can't focus on two things at one time. You can't do it. I used to think you could. I prided myself on being a multitasker. You know science has proven there's no such thing as multitasking. Some people can shift gears faster, but every time you do, you lose momentum. And let me tell you this, you can either look at what has happened or you can look prophetically into faith about what God's going to let happen. I choose to look at what's about to happen. I choose to say, yeah, this has happened and this is going on, but I'm looking at something better. You can't focus on the offense and the future at the same time. Joseph looked to his future, and 22 years into his story, (laughs) he's been pulled up. He has been made the prime minister of Egypt. There's a horrible drought that has stricken the whole nation and the surrounding nations, and his own family is like everybody else in in that part of the world. They're coming to Egypt for food. Well, Joseph is in charge of all that. They have no idea if Joseph is dead or alive. They don't even recognize him when they come... begging for this food. And Joseph finally reveals himself to them in Genesis 45. Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not be therefore grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me here before you to preserve life. Come on up, piano player. I'm out of time. Say this with me, y'all. Say, you sold me here, but God sent me here. Oh, I need y'all to help me with that. That's good stuff, isn't it? Say it again. You sold me here, but God sent me here. Listen, somebody might have sold you out, but God is sending you out. You hear me? Somebody might have hurt you, but God has heard you. Come on, somebody. Somebody else lied to you, but the Lord today is lifting you. And you can focus on that lie and that hurt and that pain and that sellout. Or you can say, that's what has happened. I'm looking at what is about to happen. God's about to lift me. God has heard me. God's about to change the things in my life. He said, Joseph said, don't be grieved. Everybody say grieved. I talked to my friend and theologian, Pastor Tom Sturbins, about that word grieved this week. And and we came to the understanding that the Hebrew of that word is a derivative that means to shape into an idol. Perpetual, continual grieving is to shape the thing into an idol. Wow, that is so true. It becomes the thing you worship. Hey, hey! Do you want to? You, you want to go out and find someone? You're a single person. Do you want it? No, 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 no! You, you don't remember what that other guy did to me. And you have grieved over that guy and that man and what he did for so long. You have shaped him into your idol. You can't move on. You can't see what's next. You want to believe God for a healing in your life? Are you kidding me? I've been dealing with this thing since 19. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you've been grieving over your sickness for so long. You have shaped it into an idol you've become you've you've become a worshiper of the thing that hurt you and the problem with that is this whatever we worship shapes us worshiping could be construed as worth shaping it shapes us you you worship Jesus you go after him you get closer and closer to him he shapes you into his image isn't that what the Bible says that we go from glory to glory and we're being transformed into his what? image from glory to glory why? because we're worshiping him whatever you worship shapes you and if you just keep grieving over what happened in the past you will become the past you'll become the thing you hate the most it will shape you into its own image But Joseph didn't go there. He didn't become that. In fact, my favorite line in the whole thing is in Genesis 50 and 20. At the very end of the chapter, he just looks at them. They're grieving. They're upset. They think he's going to return evil for evil. He could have them killed. And he said, you just don't get it. You meant it for evil against me. But God meant it for good. Come on. Somebody say God meant it for good. And could you have the audacity right now to think about who hurt you and what they did to you and how wrong that was and then prophetically over that situation say this, God meant it for good. Yeah, you just believe that. You just trust him that what they did is not going to define you. See, when you get stuck in what they did, all the evil they did, what you're saying is what could have been at the hands of man is bigger than what is going to be at the hands of God. (laughs) No, no, no. I'm not going to focus on what they did or didn't do. I'm going to look into what God's going to do. See, when you get into the presence of God, he makes you powerful. Joseph became the most powerful man in Egypt. Everybody say power. And then his very family and all the millions around them who were starving His wisdom that God gave him allowed him to provide for everything they needed. Everybody say provision, power and provision. I think it's like this. When I press through the pain to find purpose, God releases power and provision. Is he the same yesterday, today and forever? I believe that's what God wants to do here today. Some of you have dealt with pain so long. Today you're going to press through the pain and you're going to look toward the purpose of God and God's going to release power in your life to go past it and provision for you to become who God's called you to become. Somebody say, I receive it in Jesus' name. You know, the only other thing that's got to happen is you have to learn how to forgive yourself. You, you can't be who God's called you to be because sometimes the, the, the ankle weight that's holding you back is, is your own mistakes. I just have one passage to read about that. In Ephesians 2 and 8, Paul said to the world, God saved us by his grace when you believed. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is the gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Nobody can boast about it. Billy Graham couldn't boast about it. The Apostle Paul couldn't boast about it. I can't boast about it and you can't boast. It is only a gift of God. You have to stop trying to earn forgiveness and just receive.